Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. Today, we're looking at the UK equity income sector and discussing the advantages of investing in small and medium-sized companies, as well as larger ones, both in terms of potential profit growth and dividend growth. I'm Juliet Schooling-Latter, and today I'm joined by Sid Chandlal, Manager of Marlborough Multicap Income. Hi, Sid. Good afternoon, Juliet. Um, this fund has managed to produce a better dividend yield than the FTSE All Share each year since it was launched, well over a decade ago. Um, how have you achieved this? The starting point really is having a very clear respect for what is known as the Investment Association Yield Test. To be an equity income fund in the UK, you have to beat the All Share Index in simple terms. So in terms of the dividend yield, historically tested and published in Financial Times, you must be able to outperform that. And that's my starting point. Now, in some cases, um, you know, maybe that investors feel it's actually all right to sell a bit of capital and make up any distributions. What we've done is taken a very disciplined approach and said, actually, that decision is not ours. Our remit is very clear. It is to deliver the dividend and do so in that format, not to sort of say, well, we had a bad year, so you know, could you sell some of the capital instead? And therefore, it was really with that design in mind that when we construct the portfolio, every single stock in the fund must pay a dividend. So that's, that's the, the backdrop. The second important pillar, I think, in terms of achieving this, this target is that you've got to look for profitable companies. And that's what we've done. And, you know, just because you've got smaller companies, it doesn't mean that they're unprofitable. They're necessarily the riskiest. So we will go for the profitable companies where there is growth and with a quantitative overlay to have free cash flow that supports that in that can cover it ample. And and again then you have the balance sheet to support it. So you've got low gearing or net cash, especially in this environment, that makes that dividend sustainable. So in a high interest rate environment, if you've got a lot of debt, what tends to happen is Paying a dividend is less of a priority. You've got to service your interest costs instead. And, and we don't want to be in that situation where businesses are over-levered and struggling. Instead, it should be that actually it's not a burden. Um, it's fairly straightforward to pay the dividend because you've got the earnings coming through. And with the earnings, the good cash flow, that supports the dividend payment quite comfortably. Great. Thank you. And... Why do you think dividends are more important in, in this environment when inflation and interest rates are, are now higher? Well, at a very basic level, when you get inflation, and let's say it's 10% at the moment, give or take, what it does is it, is it erodes your buying power. So whether it's capital or income, you're still depleting wealth as a result of that inflation. When you have income and in the form of dividends, you are able to essentially offset that erosion. So income comes into play actually very nicely in the form of equity income because you don't just go back to par as you would with a bond. Uh, you can have the ability to recover beyond that quite, quite significantly. So you have both the capital growth side and you have the dividend while that happens. So you get paid to wait essentially. Now, in terms of a total return, um, a dividend contribution is quite significant. 
So if you, you go back and look at the long-term returns, you'll see that actually across most geographies, it is really the, the dividend contribution that has been reinvested and compounded to give you a much more significant total return had it just been looking at capital contributions. So the bulk of total returns come from income, is, is what I'm saying. And therefore, in, in not just in the short term, but also in the medium and long term, you'll find that the power of dividends is actually incredibly useful for the overall return from an investment. So, yeah, I think um, if, you, if you look at the bank rate, you, know, you might get 3 or 4% in terms of dividends. If you look at the UK 10-year gilt, you know, again, you're looking at sort of 3.5% or so. But what's happened is, is if, you, if, if the 2022 year is anything to go by, that was one of the worst years for index-linked gilts. It was, it was down over 30%. So this is why actually UK equity income may well be a much more interesting place to be now, um, especially as valuations have come down significantly, the number of stocks are trading on single-digit price-earnings ratio, and you get offered the potential for not just upside in terms of capital, but also the income while you win. Right. And, and, and your fund, um, it tends to be overweight, small and medium-sized companies, doesn't it? What, why is this? Well, we start with the, the premise that smaller companies have the ability to grow their earnings quicker than larger companies or the larger counterparts. And if you believe that, then other things being equal, the dividend should also follow in the same magnitude. So if you have a constant dividend policy and your earnings have grown 10%, you should be able to grow your dividend 10% as well, just as a, an automatic output. Um, and it tends to be the case that actually it's easier for a smaller company to potentially double its profits and therefore over time potentially double its dividend as well. And certainly we've seen that over time that actually the dividend growth has been superior for the smaller and mid-cap companies. That's, that's the first point. I think the second thing really is to do with diversification. If you had bought three or four UK equity income funds, chances are that the majority of them would have had the same or very similar stock names in the top 10 or top 20. So from our perspective, having a multi-cap approach, having a much more diverse set of companies in there, you tend to have a very different set of companies effectively contributing to that same dividend. The third thing probably is to say that when you look at the UK stock market, approximately 15 companies make up pretty much 60% of all the dividends paid. And again, what you're doing is you're reducing the stock concentration from which you get your dividend source. So rather than choosing from, let's say, 90 companies and 100, what we're doing is choosing from something like 700 companies. And, and again, we stick to our process. We're not just picking companies because they're smaller. We're picking them because we think they can pay a dividend in a sustainable fashion and they will have good balance sheets and good free cash flow and be profitable. So it's, it's also having 115 companies in the portfolio, a very different approach to a number of the peers uh, who may have fewer stocks in their portfolio. So, we're not totally reliant from a portfolio construction, you know, on, on just a handful of business drivers. It also manages liquidity risk because smaller companies can be volatile. 
and and what this does is it just ensures that you're not too um, wedded to one or two companies, you know, to pay that overall dividend. Yes, I'm, I mean, I'm a great believer in in small and, and mid caps over the long term as well. But uh, they did have a bad year last year, didn't they? Um, how how are they looking for this year um, in in 2023? Well, we're more optimistic about the small mid cap space now. Um, part of that reason is that actually, when you look at what happened in 2022. There was dollar strength, there was a big boom for commodities. Um, those were areas that actually this fund was relatively underweight on. Um, but also the dollar strength doesn't help the, the domestic stocks in the UK. It's, it's actually dollar weakness that helps. So if you take the view that actually this year uh, there will be some reversal in that, even if it is just mean reversion going back to the norm, not suggesting there's a huge crash in the dollar, but anything in terms of the more sort of historic norm in terms of the ratios versus the pound. Um, I think that will stand to be uh, received very well because what happens is the FTSE 250 tends to outperform. Certainly this year, what we've seen so far is that there's a bit more stabilization. Uh, the currency rates closer to sort of 120 rather than the 103 that we saw versus the dollar when we had the, the UK mini budget uh, under the previous prime minister um, and, and, and chancellor. So. Uh, it, it is looking a little bit more stable. And also there is a, an element of deflation beginning to come through in the numbers. Um, so perhaps you could argue that large caps have had their run. They've had that in the, in the, in the year that this proceeded. And this year there will be a, a slight rotation. Um, that said, there's also a valuation gap. Um, I, I do think that actually some of the yields that are on offer now um, with the valuations and combination, make it very attractive to small mid-capsules. Well, well, let's hope this year is the year for for, for small caps. Um, what sort of opportunities are you are you finding at the moment? Um, perhaps you've got a couple of examples that you could you could give to us. Yes, absolutely. Um, one one example would be Barrington Group, which is a sort of financial buy-to-let um, mortgages. Now, if you look at that business going back um, to the last financial crisis, the global financial crisis, they had a very high proportion of their, their loan book in what we would describe as um, high loan to value. So they would have been as high as sort of 80% loan to value with a big bulk of their book making up that segment. So 60% or so of that book would have been in what you could describe as high risk mortgages. Today, that makes us completely different. It's, it's something like 1.5% now, uh, being over 80% loan-to-value. So really, a, a higher interest rate uh, environment is, even if it does hurt the property market, um, it just leaves this back in a much stronger position, able to cope and absorb with any variations. The other aspect of this is that they have a, a large clientele in, in what you might describe as professional landlords. So they, they, they don't have the same... Um, constraints, if you like, they've already uh, refinanced, they've already got um, a different outlook as opposed to maybe what you would see in terms of the data coming out for mortgage availability, and they have planned it much better. So you do have to take a stance on what you think is going to happen to the property market in the UK. If you think it's going to be a 20-30% crash, then of course that's going to hurt, but if it's more like a 7 to 9% correction, then 
this bank's in a much better place, as I said, because of its mix. It, was, it is also a beneficiary of, of higher interest rates in itself. The net interest margin is expected to do much better. There is a sensitivity uh, that they had published before, which is approximately 10 million pounds for every 1% interest rate price. So that's on the, on, on the BBT line. Um, and, and then, of course, there is the advantage of having applied very early uh, for what is known as the IRB model. And um, they've done some six, seven years' worth of work on that, which will effectively mean that they have to hold less capital for every pound that they lend out in simplistic terms. And that puts them on a much more level playing field. So here you have a, a bank which is essentially on a single-digit B, if you want to look at it that way, price earnings ratio, uh, and it offers you a, a very handsome yield at the same time. So that's that's one example. Um, I could give you another one if you like. Uh, yeah, another one. Another one's great if you've got another yeah. one from us. Well, I could give you one which is totally different, and it's uh, it's a management story really. It's a company called Ricardo, which has uh, huge British heritage. A uh, smaller company again, and um, it's kind of evolved. Really, it used to be uh, the go-to company when, when actually the British tanks in, 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 in the war needed help because they were too loud. So, effectively, instead of alerting the enemy, the, the engines were retuned so that they became much quieter. And that was the beginning of Ricardo, really. Um, and then today, it's a very different business. What it's doing is it's saying, okay, as the world transitions away from the internal combustion engine and moves towards electric vehicles and um, a much greener planet, how can we be the go-to consultant uh, in that field? So that's that's what they've done. They've totally changed the business. Um, there is a new CEO who's, who's making some very good changes as well. And uh, this one is is a lower yield, sort of 2% in, in terms of the yield. But going back to portfolio construction, I don't mind that. Having a 2% yield, which can grow double digits in any given year is, is perfectly acceptable. And, and in the same way, you know, if we had a stock that was say five percent yield, six percent yield, I wouldn't expect it to grow 10, 20 percent every year. I think there has to be a balance and therefore a much healthier mix. Um, but Ricardo is in a space where there has been consolidation in the industry already. So uh, I would not be surprised if it starts to re-rate gradually as, as they keep delivering evidence of um, of, of earnings progress. Uh, so so that's that's Ricardo, you know, employing about three thousand specialists and um, yeah, we, we think it's pretty undervalued. It's on a low team price earnings ratio for next year, but this could easily be 16, 17 times over the next sort of two or three years. That's not a forecast. That's just a, a, a blue sky scenario where, where it could happen, subject to its margins improving, potentially also setting a, a, a division within its, its group. Um, and maybe a third one, which, which again plays into the, I think, the, the more topical uh, aspects. And this is, this is me deliberately mentioning a, a mid-cap company because um, it, it's, it's very easy to sort of forget that actually there are companies making a huge difference, uh, not just to the economy, but also general well-being um, and, and how they can transform themselves. So this is Drax. It's been a little bit more controversial recently, but they are a what used to be a, a coal-fired power plant company to becoming actually UK's biggest biomass generator. Um, and, and the the controversy, if you like, has really been around a Panorama documentary where um, there was criticism that they were um, accelerating deforestation. Uh, and, and, and actually, if, if one looks into the detail, they had a very good um, session just two days ago, in fact, uh, with, with brokers, Jeffries, to explain the situation and, and give a rebuttal to that. 
And, and what transpires is that actually what they were doing was they, they had a logging license um, to help good forestry management. So within a very vast acreage, if you clear one acre of land, for instance, that, that helps actually reduce um, forest fires. It helps the, the growth uh, and, and actually uh, certain species need more sunlight. So if, if there's a very dense underlay, uh, you're not going to be able to allow uh, effectively a, a healthy forest. So it, it's really removing what they describe uh, round wood, uh, hollow wood, dead wood that would have otherwise just been left there anyway and eventually been burnt. And and um, I am again sort of simplifying a little bit, but it's it's very easy to see one side of the story. But, but I think this is a business that could be uh, a very important player actually for uh, so many companies in the UK trying to get to sort of their the net zero targets uh, on, on carbon emissions. So that's 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 Drax in a in a nutshell. But um, yeah, I mean they're. Uh, they, they've grown their dividends 10% on an annualized basis over the last five years and, and forecast to do it again by 12% this year. Excellent. Well, thank you for those um, those interesting examples. Um, and uh, thank you, Sid, so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. The IFSL Marlborough Multicap Income Fund has a well-resourced team and offers something radically different from the majority of equity income funds investing in larger companies. This fund ventures into the small and mid-cap space where other income funds fare to tread. The team is renowned for its experience in this area of the market. To learn more about the IFSL Marlboro Multicap Income Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.